What's up, folks? This is your host, Nico, here with Outfield Talk. Uh, Dev, Dev's in an area that couldn't have good service, and then Mackenzie's uh, busy, too, teaching now, so I uh, just decided to call up one of my buddies. Uh, I got David with me tonight. Going to give me a little bit of perspective now that LA is somewhat starting to open up with COVID and the movie studios and all that kind of stuff, more like the movie base kind of episode. So yeah, Dave, go ahead, introduce yourself, tell them what you do, all that. Hey everyone, my name is David. Um, I am a writer. I'm what's called a unit still photographer, which is basically the guy on the sets of movies and TV shows and takes all the behind the scenes pictures and takes all the, the promotional photos. So anything you see in like a magazine, um, any poster you see like a bus stop, um, that's basically my job is to get those and, and, and supply those for the studio. Um, so yeah, obviously things have been pretty crazy the last couple months. It's shaken up the industry as as COVID has for basically all industries. But uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty wild to uh, to make the adjustment. Yeah, I mean, you got LA was shut down. Studios are shut down for what? You guys been shut down since March, like everyone else, right? No, nothing, no work getting done, nothing. March, uh, the only yeah, basically no work. The only uh, the only. Buddy, I know that who, who was involved in production was doing something for Netflix in, in New Zealand, and uh, obviously, like they 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 cleared out and, and had a pretty uh, pretty shut down quarantine over there, so they were able to start back up. But yeah, I mean, it's thankfully things are starting to pick up again. It's uh, it's definitely completely different. Uh, the crews are you know <clears throat> minuscule by comparison to what they used to be. Um, but I you know I, I just got back from set today actually, and just really really glad to just be back out there. Um, so, yeah. so you said that it's gotten like minuscule. So how is it like on a set? Like, are you guys like all masked up? Like the people that you're filming and taking pictures of, like they're all masked up six feet apart and. Yeah. So, um, you know, basically in order to even get onto the set, every single person on the crew has to be, uh, tested for COVID. Um, so I had to get a couple tests done already. Um, negative all across the board. <laughs> Yeah, man. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like super hyper careful. I mean, you know, um, even just to go over during the break to grab a snack, you gotta be really, really, really careful about who's around. Um, you know, I, I being a still photographer, I'm working directly with the camera department. There's usually on a, on a, on a camera department, there's cinematographer who's kind of in charge of the entire look of the movie. Uh, you've got two assistant cameras, usually, um, one guy who's like controlling the focus. Um, and then you got another guy who's in charge of like cleaning lenses, switching lenses out, doing stuff like that. Um, and then you usually have a camera operator or uh, what's called a steady cam operator. And that's, that's the person actually holding the camera um, either handheld or like on a stabilizer. Um, and now it's, it's usually just a cinematographer, maybe an assistant camera and me. Um, so, you know, it's, it's weird, man. Like I'm, I'm used to being right next to the camera and, and just, squeezing in as much as I can to be able to get the shots I need. I kind of have to work around the rest of the department. Um, and now it's, you know, everyone's spread out. Uh, it makes it, it's nice because I'm not, you know, in an uncomfortable position, but it, it's tougher to get the angles I need to get. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it slows down the workflow of the set, obviously. You don't have as many hands able to move all these, like, heavy lights and all this equipment around. Um, so it's, it's definitely more of a grind. It feels a little more like it was in film school. Nice because it it builds a stronger camaraderie with the set, but, um, you know, in terms of efficiency, it's definitely a much slower process and, uh, the scale of the productions had to be cut down pretty drastically. You just got to pick up more of the workload from, from the sounds of it. It doesn't, doesn't sound fun. <laughs> no, I forgot to mention this too, but there's, there's a, uh, there's like a COVID instructor or supervisor on every set, making sure that everybody is adhering to protocols at all times. Um, so yeah, if you, you know, touch your forehead, you got to go change your mask. You know, it's, it, there's absolutely zero margin for error, especially because, you know, whoever's in front of the camera, they obviously have to take their mask off by the time uh, the camera's rolling. So, you know, protecting talent is, is, is especially important in these situations. Um, it, it's, it's just a weird process, man. <laughs> it just, it, it's totally like mind blowing. Like I'm on the East coast and like everything is like starting to die down out here with me out in New Hampshire. And like you, you guys have been shut down and protocols and 
where we might be shut down for another month or two until we're finally able to like open back up. How what's restaurants and stuff like out there? You guys have takeout yet and all that? Outdoor dining at some of them, no indoor dining. Uh, it was for a little bit towards like the beginning of June, but then things spiked back up again uh, once that happened, so they had to shut that down. Um, still retail stores available, so you know you can still go shopping and everything. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's weird. All bars, movie theaters, anything that's like an enclosed area with a lot of people. Like I, I think there's some churches that are starting to open up again, but um, you know even those for the most part, it's all it's all still shut down. And, um, you know, thankfully, we're starting to trend downward again, but um, it's it's been interesting. It's been kind of like an up and down spike. There hasn't really been like a consistent um, trend one way or the other. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of weird dealing with like just kind of being in this like state of uncertainty. We don't really know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, focus on today. I don't really know what the heck's going to happen tomorrow. Um <laughs> I miss I miss seeing people, man. I just miss seeing people. I really do. Dude, that's how I was for forever. I was working my retail store, just taking phone orders and curbside pickup, not being able to talk to anybody. I've just I'm working by myself in the store. I'm just like, God, I just I wish I can go get a beer after the game or after after work, but I can't because bars are closed down so i'm just drinking by, by myself in my house i'm just like this this doesn't feel normal at all but now that it's like finally starting to get back to normal like restaurants aren't using like these tupperware bins to hand me my food anymore and stuff like that so i'm like all right we're we're getting somewhat back to normal <laughs> gotta celebrate the small <laughs> Did you? I think we might have cut out a little bit. Ah, all right. We cut. Yep, we cut out a little bit there. <laughs> you, you pick up what I was saying about just like we gotta, we gotta just enjoy the small victories. You know, like anything that feels somewhat normal. I'm just trying to like appreciate it at a, like a heightened level because. Right now. Normal now. I don't even know what the heck normal is anymore, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you you brought up movie theaters being closed down. A lot of the studios that had like these movies made are doing that direct to video stuff where you're paying like net twenty to twenty five bucks for the movies now. Like I just bought the new Bill and Ted uh last night. I need to watch that man. Dude, it was it was awesome. It was well worth it. I was just like, I'm not missing this one, but like all you think that's going to become the norm? And, like, are we going to see, like, drive-in movies come back so you can have that social distance? Drive-in movies have been huge in California. People have been going constantly among my friends, especially, like, my film school friends. Um, it's an interesting thing. I think time's going to tell. Um, I think that, I mean, honestly, I, I want to hear your opinion about it. Um, just being someone who's not in the industry, like, does it make a difference to you watching something at home versus in a theater? Like, is, is there any kind of drastic change in the experience? I mean, I love going to, I, I love going to the movie theater. Like, uh, Avengers Endgame at the movie theater would have been, it was way total different experience watching it at the theater where it's jam packed and you can hear everyone's reactions to what, what was going on as compared to just me watching it at my home, at my house. And I've, if that movie would have came out during COVID with that direct-to-video thing, I don't think it would have had the same effect on me. I think it, I think I just would have been like, oh, like yeah, that's a badass scene, like where everyone comes together. But in the theater, like I'm crying with everyone in in the seats, just like this is fucking awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm so fucking glad you said that because it's such a it it really is like the collective experience of, of watching something with, with an entire jam-packed theater and. Like knowing everyone is there for the same reason, there's a common interest, common enthusiasm for something. Like, I don't think one that can't be mimicked at home. Two, I think the thing that people don't realize is like, you don't have agency over the experience when you're sitting here. Like, you don't have a pause button. You, like, any time that you look down at your phone, even or if you look to the side or whatever, you can't get that couple seconds back that you missed. Yeah. So people really lock into what they're doing and what they're watching and pay attention at a level that I don't think. 
people do when they're at home because they have the luxury of hitting pause and being able to check their phone and if they miss something they can rewind or they can yep. go back back you know like things like that don't happen in a movie theater and i think that it, it really does kind of affect the way that people um absorb content it's funny to me like people complain about movies being too long a lot of the time yet they're binge watching like you know like entire season of the office in like two or three days or whatever and yeah break that after hours like it's <laughs> you know? um i don't I'm, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen i think that there's going to be a lot more movies that go the direct-to-video route i think we're going to see theaters be exclusive i mean it was already heading this direction but blockbusters only um Think that we're going to get to that point it's going to be like a, it's going to be like an event to go to a theater whereas like i think it's a good thing for, for smaller budget movies that have a tougher time reaching like a wider audience um because it it, it, it gives it's less of a risk it's really expensive to put a movie in a theater man like avengers endgame i think the budget for that was probably 300 million dollars they spent another $300 million on marketing, probably. You, you usually spend your production budget on your marketing budget. And then on top of that, whatever the movie makes in a theater, which they have to sell to the theater in order to get them to distribute, the theater takes half of the revenue from the box office. So a movie like Endgame, realistically, to break even, they had to make probably $900 million. Obviously, that movie made no. 2.8 million. <laughs> yeah, easily. <laughs> million and you think okay if it if it makes 400 million it's made a profit or whatever it's like no that movie if it made 400 million would have lost 500 million dollars right um so yeah it's it's a it's a gamble to put a movie in a theater and i think um you know you cut out the middleman when you have a, a direct-to-video distribution deal um and i think that for guys who have smaller budgets or more like mid-range budgets um, it, it's it's way less of a risk to, than than going to a studio and trying to get them to put it out in a theater and, and competing with, you know, an Endgame or a Christopher Nolan movie or, you know, whatever else is like the big event movie of that summer. It's it, it's it's a lot less pressure. It's I think it democratizes the industry more. Um, but yeah, I, I worry about it kind of going completely in that direction and us getting to a point where theaters just aren't a thing that people go to. Right. But do you, do you think that studios will lose money by doing this direct to direct to stream though too? Cuz when you think about it, when you go to a movie theater, you pay what on an average about 7 to 11 bucks depending what day you go, what time you go. But <laughs> But when you but when you but when you stream it at your house, you can invite basically whoever you want over and just one person pays like that 20 like that 20 to 25 dollar fee so you're always to get them to, to to just like all pitch it and cover or whatever or like, yeah like it's you know one person pays that off and then it's, it's everybody. Uh, watch it i mean also you know it's a lot easier to pirate um a movie that's released video on demand than it is to pirate a movie that's in theater especially like an hd version of it you know yeah like a lot easier mile from that and put it up on the internet somewhere so that's that's a concern um yeah i mean in terms of losing profit i'm not sure how much it's, it's a weird thing because people don't really disclose their their like direct-to-video sales as much as they do with like something with the box office which is like tracked obviously um so i'm not really sure exactly what the finances are i know universal made like ton of money doing their the the direct-to-video route with some of the things that they released this spring but i think honestly man like time's gonna tell but i do think the industry is really gonna try out the, the direct-to-video thing um more aggressively yeah and then there's also like like disney plus right now is charging 30 bucks to watch mulan on top of but a month or whatever for the subscription like yeah that. on top of the seven bucks a month to watch it but you know like months down the road that it's going to be free on there anyways so are you really going to dish out that 30 dollars to pay for that when you can watch it for free like two three months later like people like you and i that are like kind of casual fans of something like a mulan aren't but there's people that are fanatics that will pay no matter i have to watch it on opening night i have to <laughs> I, I can't miss out on this i need to experience it as soon as i can you know i mean like 
it's like us when there's a baseball game on. Like we could go back and just watch the highlights later on. We know they're gonna be up on like it's like demanding it's demanded viewing. You know? Um, no. So like something like that, I don't necessarily agree with making it thirty bucks. I think if you make it ten or fifteen dollars like you would with a normal movie ticket price, um you're you're gonna get more people to want to buy it also like they justify that with making it like okay you pay this much you have it available for like 48 hours right like you you basically watch it for two days or whatever it's like who's really gonna go and watch that movie repeatedly over a two-day period like even movies i love like more than anything i can only watch so many times before i just need a break for a second you know um it's 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 fascinating to me the whole idea of like putting a movie up on a on a subscription-based platform and then charging an additional fee to watch that movie after making people already subscribe to get access to it is a weird strategy to me. It's Disney though; they can do whatever they want. Like they obviously are pretty successful in in their business strategies, but like something like um, what was it? This, this like Seth Rogen movie that just came out on like HBO or whatever HBO Max. Like that to me is a better idea where you. You have a movie that was initially meant for a studio and then it switches to digital distribution and they put it up for everyone that subscribes to that um to that service mm-hmm. those services you know it's not like it's not like a theater or or even like um like broadcast television where there's advertisements and, and concessions and all these other things that are equating to kind of the revenue that's bringing in like they just like they're passively making money one way or another. People are subscribing to that service. They're making their bank whether people watch that movie or not. Right. Um, so to me, that seems like a safer kind of platform than like releasing it just like outright and making people pay. I think it's it, it, it makes people less inclined to do so. Right. Because isn't it isn't it in order to for these streaming services to have that movie, they have to pay the studios for the rights to even stream it. Right. I'm I'm assuming that that's how it works there's there's a there's like a production company that is in charge of like the development and then the actual shooting of the movie and then after the movie's completed you know it goes to a distributor so like you know disney distributes everything marvel studios does um obviously they own marvel studios but like disney is technically the distributor of those movies um so like yeah like in this situation i think I can't remember exactly who was supposed to get that Seth Rogen movie. It might've been like Sony or Paramount or something, but obviously COVID happened. They go a theatrical route. What they did was they kind of shopped the distribution rights, HBO, Warner media, like saw it as a really good opportunity to put something new on this platform. They were just about to launch like, something like that. It's, it's a good strategy, especially when you're, you're doing something new because people will come in and subscribe to that service just to watch that movie. And then there's this whole other like giant, you know, catalog of content for them to be able to go through after they're done with that. And it keeps them wanting to subscribe to the service. Like that to me just makes more sense than like, you know, putting something up for 30 bucks. It's like, you know, having it for 48 hours, like have it available forever to somebody, have a ton of other stuff available with them. You're making passive income. It just, it makes more sense. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you on that. That's for sure. Um, movies i just gotta segue quickly and give the shout i hate you gary sanchez the Mets fan. <laughs> um i mean you know mets are gonna mets but how much how much anguish do i have to go through dude <laughs> wild week to be a mets fan <laughs> well it's been a wild week to be a yankees fan they just finally found out how to win again after that five game losing skid Jesus Christ. Oh, they like were considering getting Clevenger or something and like I <laughs> Clevenger being forced to cut his hair. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to segue to that. No, no, no. <laughs> You're good, man. I'm always down to talk sports on this podcast. That's what it's mostly about. Um but I I firmly believe like if people opened up more drive-in theaters I think that's the way to go now. Like people, I I love going to a drive-in movie. Like I know we talked about the distractions of watching a movie at home because you have your cell phone and everything. But when you go to a drive-in, like 
it's just you and your buddies hanging out on a tailgate of someone's truck. Like, you don't. You can fool around on your phone, but you're not going to miss anything because you got the speakers blasting your ear from the car and that huge screen. Like, even if you're on your phone, you can, out of your peripheral vision, you'll still understand what's going on. It takes away, like, the seriousness of kind of, like, the environment in a way. Like, it, it still gives you kind of that, like, intimate feel where it's just, like, you and your buddies just, like, shooting the shit. Um, but, yeah, it still has that kind of, like, live you don't have control of like the viewing experience in its entirety um like that is the one thing that i i don't love about movies is like you can't like you're just like forced into dead silence for two hours sitting there especially if you go with like a friend or a girlfriend or like you're just sitting there silently with the person forever long just like not saying a word it's like taboo to say anything yeah. um yeah man like i i really hope drive-ins make a comeback like they're obviously like doing pretty good right now. I think Chris Nolan releasing his movie this weekend is really going to help. Um, I, I know it came out limited this weekend. I think it's wide releasing next weekend. But like, I hope they put that movie in drive-ins because like that'll just like really really serve the whole experience for everyone. And uh, you know, like obviously us working at Cedar, like we had the luxury of being able to go to a drive-in if we needed to, like on a night off or whatever, and like. I remember seeing the Incredibles 2 over there like two years ago and it was awesome. Like it was my first driving experience. Um, and yeah, like you're right. It's just like, it's, it's kind of like the best of both worlds in a way, you know, it takes like what's great about the theatrical experience and it takes what's like convenient about being home. Um, and it kind of merges the two and like finds like that happy medium. All while social distancing in these troubled times. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> um, what? say like i just miss going to the i've been seeing a movie since like march 13th that was the last time i was in a movie theater and the theater gave me a voucher like a uh like a, a free viewing for whatever like my next time coming like to the theater would be and then the next day they just shut down and i'm pretty sure they went out of business so i just have this voucher that i'm keeping in my wallet forever yeah um, and that that's the other thing that we're seeing too like Movie theaters, I don't know if they're going to be able to bounce back after all this is over because they haven't had the chance to have people come in there and watch movies and pay. And so I think I think the movie theater business is just, I think it's kaput. I think they have to go with the drive-in route. Here's what I think is going to happen. So there's a rule where um, studios were not allowed after a certain point to distribute, produce, and um, project their own movies they weren't so movie uh, movie studios were not allowed to own their own theaters it was considered monopolizing the industry if they did that right because then like the idea is like any studio whether they're a major like a disney or like a small independent studio is able to get their movie into a theater like it's a separate kind of outside third party um i think that's going to get rescinded i think that into like we're seeing this already amc has already declared bankruptcy um you know, I'm sure that like Regal and Cinemark are in kind of similar situations. And I think that you're going to see theaters be owned by, like, there's going to be a Disney owned theater. There's going to be a Sony owned theater. There's going to be um, uh, a Paramount theater. There's going to be, you know, whatever studio you can name. I think you're going to see them start to, um, you know, open theaters up put only their studio's movies in those theaters and kind of set the standards for, for, you know, pricing and all these other things. Um, Cause you're right. Like I, I just don't see theaters surviving this on their own. Their, their main sources of income are obviously like, you know, taking the portion of the box office that they get and concessions. And both of those things are crazy expensive right now. Whereas a studio, that's just another, it's another just part of the conglomerate, man. You know, it's just, it's another source of income, but they have so many other sources of income coming in that it's not as much of a risk. hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, oh my God. I totally had what I was going to say next. Um, <laughs> just blanking out here. Um, <laughs> but moving, moving forward. Um, so, Obviously, studios are starting to open up, and yeah, here it goes. I got where I was going. Obviously, studios are opening up. We're going to have 
uh, filming starts soon, I assume. Um, do you think that like future movies are going to like the writers are going to write about like quarant? Are they going to include like quarantine stuff like in the movies? They'll just be like, oh, remember that quarantine like last year, blah blah blah. And we fooled around, and then it'd be like a funny cut scene of like what him and his buddies were doing with their masks on and all that crap. Or you think that they're just going to wave it off and just be like, no, like movies are to escape from reality. Like it's just to put you, put you at ease, get you in a different state of mind. Or you think they're going to acknowledge it? Here's what I, th- I think it's going to be somewhere in between. I think that COVID itself necessarily be directly referenced because I think that anytime you're trying to make something that's both timely and timeless, you need to factor in more like, I think I think the effects of COVID on people, in terms of like psychology, is gonna is gonna be something that's explored more than just like COVID itself, um, because when you make a movie that directly references COVID, it is only relevant to the people who went through that experience. So someone, however many years down the line, it's like it's like when one of your buddies gives an inside joke, and you weren't there to really understand what the nature of that inside joke is, so right? Unless you're to get it it doesn't really register the same way but i think that the, the ideas of like you know isolation um kind of this, this this feeling of like lack of agency in your life this sense of powerlessness from like immobility and being you know claustrophobic for however long like i think those are things that are definitely going to be explored more i think you're going to see writers trying to make cheaper movies um i think it's going to be return to more kind of character driven stuff where there's not as many like there's not there's not as much of a demand for like bringing in all these extras or having these big elaborate set pieces that cost a ton of money like i think it's going to be a lot more scaled down it's going to be more grounded um which honestly i don't think is a bad thing i think having a balance too but then i mean you look at something like the batman that's going to come out next year it's a giant production they're starting up again in october um and you know, that's, there's, I think those big blockbusters are always going to be a, something that we're going to have in our culture. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that the themes of COVID are definitely going to be like heavily explored in movies um, for the next probably five years, I would say. Pause for a sec. But moving, moving forward, um, in regard, if they are going to acknowledge COVID, I mean, comedy movies haven't been what they have been. I mean, because the culture's changed, everyone gets offended and all that. I could see someone making like a like a quarantine spoof movie. It's just supposed to be making fun of it. And then you're just going to have that one person that was, well, you didn't have anyone that was affected by COVID, did you? This I find this movie offensive. Like my, my uncle had it and he was in bed for a month. And like the movie's not for you then. Like. Be able to, to but, um, like, all right, like, it's, it's a lot harder to be funny now. I think you have to be really like, everyone has to be like, hyper considerate of like the nature of the joke. Whereas, like, you know, a joke just can't be a joke anymore. It drives me crazy. Like, yeah, you're right. Comedy movies, I like to say it's like comedy movies are, are wrapped in bubble wrap, you know. It's like they're, they're, they're like it's like there's like some protective barrier around them to like soften the blow and people aren't really going like a hundred percent like all out. Right. I think the idea of like people getting trapped together in an enclosed space during a quarantine situation is a hysterical concept. Yeah, it's like it's like Shaun of the Dead, basically. Like that'd be a prime example. Even with that, I think that again it's like the idea of like being stuck in a contained space with all these people <laughs> for a really long time and then driving you insane <laughs> more kind of like where the comedy comes from than just like making a reference to COVID. Um, yeah, you're right. Like people who are like offended by that thing, they need to like take a step back and realize that not everything is directly. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's a comedy movie. It's supposed to make you laugh. And like, same with comedians, like, Oh, he said this in his bit, like he's racist. He he's homophobic. No, he's, his job is to make you laugh. Like not all the jokes are going to hit with you. I look at it. Like, I, I 
at the guys from South Park as like a total example of this. They are equal opportunity offenders. They're untouchable. Like no, no one brings it up whenever they when people bring up like cancel culture. Like there's people that have been like dead pissed at South Park, but everyone else is like, "Fuck you!" It's a hilarious show. <laughs> like it's they go after everybody. So technically, that means they also don't go after anybody. Right. For everyone equally, it means that they're just seeing the humor and absurdity in anything. It has nothing to do with like them trying to impose their personal values on people. And again. People that get so hyper offended by that man, like, I think it comes from a sense of entitlement. It's like, I view myself, I put myself on such a pedestal that someone I don't know, and I have no idea what their actual intention was, I'm going to perceive it as they're targeting me and trying to, like, offend me. It's like, that they don't know you. <laughs> they have no idea who you are. They're just trying to, like, write something that's funny. Um yeah. There's obviously a line. Like, you can't go up there like freaking Kramer and start screaming the N-word. <laughs> obviously, that's not okay. That's completely unacceptable. There's no area where that's that's like even remotely, you know, defendable. But, like, you know, like a joke about, like, you know, like some, like, hyper-liberal, like, freaking, like, snowflake, like, weekend warrior is, is just as funny to me as, like, People making fun of like a redneck Trump supporter. Like, where is the line? We got to be able to just like. And what it comes down to is people just got to stop taking things so damn seriously. If everything is taken so seriously. Yeah, I mean, look at look at how movies were back then, and the movies that they're trying to censor now that came out back then. Blazing Saddles, one of my favorite comedies of all time. The like, the jerk, which is Steve Martin, who is who was raised by a poor black family and he thinks he's black the whole movie. Like it's hilarious, but people are like, that's offensive. That's a white guy pretending to be black. Oh, that blazing saddles is offensive because they say the N word too many times. Like, no, dude, it's a movie about a black guy who becomes a sheriff and saves the town. Everything in between. That's just, it's just to make you laugh. And that's who Mel Brooks was. He's just, he's a comedian. That's what he did. Again, just like the South Park guys, equal opportunity offender. What's yep. that doing? Makes fun of himself. You know, at a certain point, people just need to take a step back and be able to freaking laugh at the absurdity of the world that we live in and be able to like laugh at their own like character defects. And um, I hope that we get back to it. Because you're right, man. Like, I just, I miss comedies. When's the last time you saw like a great Will Ferrell movie? Like a truly funny Will Ferrell movie. Dude, it's been a it's been a minute. <laughs> Honestly, dude, the last time I saw a Will Ferrell movie where I've like genuinely been laughing consistently through at least two thirds of it was like the other guys. And that was what, ten years ago now? We're old. Years ago, dude. Like, <laughs> like I was yeah, I was fourteen years old going into that movie, like and like just like I haven't seen another funny Will Ferrell movie since because they've just been like padded with bubble wrap. Same with Seth Rogen, dude. I haven't laughed at a Seth. Rogen I, movie. Yeah, it's, it's been a while for a Seth Rogen one too. The end for me was like the last one, and like I love that because again, that made fun of like this, like you know, this like these people that take themselves so seriously and put themselves like you know as like these like morally superior. What they're really exploiting is this. <laughs> um, I, I just yeah. comedy needs to have some fight it needs to have some edge well i mean i told you i've watched i bought the new bill and ted and i watched it but it's it's funny i laughed because you know it's bill and ted keanu reeves is hilarious in the movie but they did make it like in today's culture like they're not really the leads it's mostly their daughters who take over as the leads you have to have a female protagonist now to please everybody like why why isn't there a lead female in this comedy movie like and but it was still funny it was still a funny bill and ted movie but i i could see through the lines of like they really just like handed it over to same thing that ghostbusters did yeah couldn't have the original Ghostbusters, so you had to bring in the full female cast to please everybody for equal opportunity. I'm all for 
diversity, but if it's purely for diversity's sake and person is not serving a purpose to the greatest story and it's very clear they're only shooting just to be like playing the inclusion card i think that's more offensive to me than to like not try to like force the diversity into it because you're doing it with like an agenda of just like i just don't want the backlash of people saying that i wasn't inclusive like, right it's about my ass it's not actually about like presenting like a wall that's more reflective of like the world that we live in so yeah, man, like, I, I completely agree with you. Like, there's plenty of movies that I've seen that, like, have really strong female protagonists, and it doesn't feel fucking force-fed or shoved down my throat or, like, you know, given this, like, PC, like, messaging behind it. Um, that's important. Like, people, there needs to be imperfect characters in movies. Like, if a, if a, if a character is already, like, considered socially, like, flawless at the beginning of the movie, movie to the end there's no like there's no journey that they really go on there's nothing that's like testing their value system or making them reconsider things like in, in their world and that's pretty boring to me like to me a movie is like a person is supposed to have their values questioned and and reevaluated through the conflict that they go through in that movie regardless of what the genre is like comedies are like that too anchorman's a movie about inclusion in the workspace you know but it's it's like it's done in a way where it's not like shoved out front and center. It's it's about like kind of showing like these like juvenile man children who take themselves <laughs> seriously and think that they're the freaking top of the world, but they're idiots. You know, like, something like that is literally just about like allowing women to have more of an opportunity in the workspace, but it's never like shoved down your throat that way. And then you look at Anchorman two. That movie decided to become like about like you know like you know reporting the facts versus reporting with an agenda to get viewers and it, it like shoved that message down its audience's throat and i don't think people responded the same way yeah i mean you anchorman too the only one that, the only scene that really stood out to me in that one was the fight at the end because i just i love the fight scenes <laughs> like everyone's in there smith is in there there's like someone that's just like, doesn't like doesn't um doesn't brick show up with like a like a plasma gun or something yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a like, gun from the future. That ain't fair, man. He got a gun from the future. Self-aware lunacy, right? It's like it, it's the whole point of like, yeah, this is preposterous. We're gonna be preposterous. We're gonna be apologetic about it. Like, let's do that. But like that scene stands out because it felt true to the first one. The rest of the movie to me, it just felt like it was like trying to shove this message about like integrity in reporting down my throat. Right, and and that Ron Burgundy wasn't like the first Ron Burgundy either. In my opinion, it didn't even come close. It's not as much like a drastic transformation, and like it doesn't lose nearly as much. Yeah, but let let's backtrack a little bit because th thinking of that scene and what you said earlier about new films probably won't have like all that star power packed into that little like those little scenes or like the whole movie. Um, do you think that that that's just not going to be a thing anymore? Because uh, when you think about it, like Scary Movie back in the day, that's where a lot of young stars got their starts. Like Kevin Hart was Scary Movie 3, and then he blew up from there, just making little cameos in movies, and they blew up. Everyone's just like, this guy's funny as shit from the Scary Movie movie. 40-year-old virgin. He's in that for like one scene or whatever, where he's like trying to buy the... Buying the yeah, buying the DVD player. <laughs> it's unbelievable on that. Um, yeah, so here's what... I think that the, the age of the movie star has kind of died a little bit, man. It's, it's interesting. The, the, the actor is not the star power anymore. The character that they're playing is the star power, right? Like, people don't go... Obviously, Tom Holland's a great Spider-Man, but people aren't going to see a Spider-Man movie to watch Tom Holland. They're watching it because it's Spider-Man. Like, the intellectual property has become the, the movie star. Um, so, like... Like, there's guys that are in those Marvel movies. They go and do, like, a side project in between, and it doesn't bring in nearly the amount of money that it, it, it does when they appear in a Marvel movie. Um, so that's, like, an interesting thing. It's, like, you know, star power alone doesn't really sell a movie anymore. It's like yeah, I mean, the nature of what your, like, what your character is. Yeah, I mean, Robert Downey can't escape from his Iron Man role anymore after that Dr. Doolittle flop. I mean, that, that's... 
<laughs> that was a terrible movie. I I couldn't watch it. It is it is interesting that you pointed out that like some movie stars are just like trapped in their one roles though and like they can't bust out of the bubble if they do want to explore something else. I mean, I mean you look at actors like Leonardo DiCaprio who's basically played like anything and everything and he's great in every single one cuz he's not tied down. You don't associate him with just his one role. You just you're like Yeah. Same with like, you know, like a Brad Pitt, but those guys also came up during the time where like the era of the movie star was like still really, really huge. Um, and like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's weird how it shifted. I think that it's interesting. It's kind of shifted from like a movie star being able to sell a movie just by having their name in the credits to like, that's kind of the way television is now in a way. It's like, if you have like an actor that you're a really big fan of and they're in a new show, like people will watch that show purely because in it initially and then if the show's good they'll obviously like binge it but um i think star power has a lot more weight in television now than it used to in movies yeah i mean danny trejo's been playing the same guy for about 20 years now just a just an overweight mexican who kicks ass <laughs> bring it back to anchorman one of my favorite scenes in anchorman is when he's in the bar and he's like trying to give a pep talk to yeah and um just just everything in general like i know we'll probably see a whole bunch of more like independent films come out but in, independent films are so hard to get the funding and get everything together. Um, they're the guy, the guys that I listen to on the podcast. They they're mostly help out veterans and stuff. They put out a movie called Range Fifteen. Huge! It was a huge hit. It's a it's a hilarious movie if you know about the military life. And but and they want to make more movies. They just they can't get the funding for it to do it. And yeah, like all through the quarantine, they're like, just give it, just give us some freaking money, and we'll go, we'll go make it, we'll go do whatever you guys want, <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's really interesting how that has been like. It's it's really hard to get people to believe in an idea. Um, like the script alone usually is not able to sell a movie. In order to get funding, you need to be able to get a star actor attached to it in some capacity. Um, and then the tougher part, even after that, is like, even if the movie gets made and it's great, how the heck do you get people to see it? Because it's hard enough to get money to, to produce the movie itself. Yep. It's even harder to, to get funds to advertise it. Exactly. You know, like you got to submit to festivals in order to do that, which each festival you submit to, there's a submission fee and there's no guarantee that it's even going to get in. So you're dropping, you know, tons and tons of money before you're able just to get people to get eyes on it um it's like it's a really difficult uphill battle but what i do like about covid is i think that people like you know studios that are looking into more of an on-demand thing i think they're going to take more calculated risks with allowing like more smaller budget movies to get made um but even a guy like martin scorsese who about as acclaimed a director as any director has ever been, right? Like he's a he's just like a, an icon. He can't like he can't get 
a studio to fund his movies anymore. That's why he goes to Netflix and he's doing a movie. He's doing a movie with Leo and and uh, Robert De Niro as yeah. his next movie. Is that and, the is that the Ronan one or no? That's Tarantino. Yeah, that's Tarantino. Tarantino's um, the Ronan one. I'm looking forward to that one. That's gonna be ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like Scorsese had to go to Apple to get to get the funding for his movie. It's got you know. De Niro's a De Niro is also an icon, and then DiCaprio is probably the most famous person on the planet. Like, and and even that wasn't enough for people to have confidence that they could put it out in a the theater and it would make their money back. It's really really hard to get funding if you don't have something that already has like an established fan base behind it. That's why comic books work so well. That's why, um, like. You know, if there's like a really iconic book that's being adapted, that usually works really well because there's a there's a fan base that already exists that's going to show up regardless. Um, so when there's, it's really hard to make people believe in a new idea. Yeah. <laughs> to convince them of something that they haven't seen or read or experienced before, right? There's no like pre-existing template. They're just going in kind of blind and taking a leap of faith. Like that's. It's, it's I get it. Like I understand from those guys' ends, you know, if I was some like rich, like, you know, like hedge fund guy and some 26 year old kid comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I have this really great idea for a movie. This is the script. I have like this, like, you know, like decently known actor attached to it and I need $5 million. Will you give me my $5 million? I'd be really apprehensive. Like I, it, I understand it, but at the same time, man, like, we need, I think I'm a huge supporter of indie cinema. Part of it's just because of the fact that I like went from like came from film school. Like, huge part of film school is like learning how to fund people's projects and like you know like do those things, outsource, try to get money. Like they don't, the school didn't ever give us funds for any of our projects. We had to just figure it out on our own. Um, so like I have a huge amount of respect for people that are on that grind, but it's. It's hard, man, and it's like really it beats you down after a while. And do you um, do you think that that's why comedies aren't getting made either? Is because these investors like they get to see the script and then just like bug eyed, they're like, "Do I really want to promote something that says this, this, and this, and have it tied back to me?" Kind of deal. Some of it is that I think it's also. What we've seen kind of recently is like there's a polarity in terms of budgets. So there's like, you know, you have your Avenger movies that are like, you know, 300 million. And then you have your $10 million indie movie. There's not really like a $50 million movie that's being made anymore. Um, it's like $50 million is a preposterous amount of money. It's <laughs> like a pretty, pretty moderate. Um, so. I think in that case, it's that's kind of more the risk is like we don't want to throw this much money at an idea that's new and unproven. Um, so yeah, like comedies usually kind of fall more into that range of like thirty-five to sixty million dollars, and it's just getting harder and harder to get those things made now because the returns just aren't coming back as much. But I think part of the returns not coming back is because the movies aren't funny anymore. <laughs> you know. This is like kind of never-ending cycle of like, well, the movies aren't making money, so people don't want comedies anymore. Clearly, but the comedies aren't funny, and that's why they're not making money. So we're not going to keep trying to make them. Right. I think I think the last comedy I watched was The King of Staten Island. It, it wasn't bad. Like I laughed a little bit here and there, but it it to me it wasn't like a comedy. It was mostly like mostly a drama with some comedic elements to it some humor right like it's about a guy like overcoming his trauma and trying to like learn how to take be proactive in his life like that's really what the movie's about yeah bill burr made it for me i bill burr in that movie's hilarious <laughs> like dude even the, like the stuff that's like really trying hard to be like the parts of that movie like the stuff with his friends when they're like trying to rob or like his friends like try to rob a pharmacy you know like stuff like that like <laughs> That to me felt like it was a completely separate movie compared to like the rest of what was going on. Right. It felt like a drama that was trying really hard to also be comedic because it had funny people. Right. Um, like you're right, dude. Like, yeah, I, I enjoyed that movie, but I was I was like chuckling. I wasn't like belly laughing, like falling out of my seat. Right. 
Exactly. I haven't I haven't watched a comedy movie like that in a while. I mean, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted made me laugh like quite a bit, where I was finally like, oh my god, this is fucking hilarious. Um, but before before that, it was King of Staten Island, and um, I don't even remember what else. Like before that, and that's the thing. Like there hasn't been like a legit comedy, probably within like the last three to five years, that's come out. Yes, and that was four years ago, five years ago, 2015, 2016. That's 16, man. Like that, yeah. It's been four years. Like that. It's insane to me. It's insane to me. Um, I, I just want comedy to make a comeback, man. Especially because stand up has gotten so big now. And like, even that, though, like, comedians are more known as podcasters now than they are as, as like, comedians. Dude, more known as podcasters. I know, dude. Every everybody, every celebrity during quarantine just decided I'm gonna make a podcast now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's pretty ridiculous. The guy, the podcast that I listen to, it's uh, Ross Patterson. If you know who that is, he started like a whole bunch of '90s movies. He's the bad guy in uh, the new guy, the bully with the leather jacket. Yeah, and like he's pissed off because he's been out of the mainstream for like ever now. He just he just writes scripts and writes books now. That's all he does. But he does his podcast on the side, and like he he has over thirty million uh, listeners. And all of a sudden, like once quarantine hit, like all that traffic just went to you know the Ron Burgundy podcast, the freaking you know HGTV, uh, the Twin Guys podcast, and all that. Because people are just drawn to the celebrities. Like, oh my God, Leonardo DiCaprio has a podcast? Why have I not listened to this yet? Like, global warming? Sign me up. <laughs> so funny, dude. Like, yeah, like, name sells a podcast, and name sells a TV show, but won't show up if a person's in it. <laughs> I think the hardest part for podcasters that have been in the game for a while now is the fact that they've been busting their ass, like, for years, and then all of a sudden, like, like I said, Ron Burgundy comes out with a podcast and instantly has, you know, let's just throw a number out and say 50 million listeners on the first week, just because it's Will Ferrell being Ron Burgundy, interviewing other celebrities as Ron Burgundy. Yeah. Again, that's the pre-existing IP thing I was talking about, man. Like, he, there's an established base of people that are already familiar, know what to expect. There's not a lot of risk involved in, like, engaging in content like that like they kind of know what they're gonna get and um like it's kind of just like affirming their needs instead of like i love discovering something new and just being really excited about it like i that's one thing i really miss about like content it's just like that element of discovery to where like i'm kind of like taken aback by something it feels like something i haven't experienced before it's like yeah i love ron burgundy as much as the next person but i know what I'm going to get with Ron Burgundy. Like, I know kind of the nature of what those kind of discussions are going to be like. I know kind of the candor. I know, I know the type of jokes that are probably going to be delivered. Like it's, yeah, it's just going to be like between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis, basically. It's like a, a less dead can version of between two ferns. Like between two ferns. I love because it's like very anti-humor. Whereas like <laughs> Burgundy is like, just like, Hyper confrontational, has no filter whatsoever, has no understanding of like, like social decorum in any way. Like that to me, it's like I know kind of what I'm gonna get with that. Like I know the type of jokes. So you know, it, it, like I've listened to like an episode. Uh, I probably listened to an episode of that because I'm one of those people who's like a sheep and would just be like, oh, it's Will Ferrell. Yeah, I checked. I checked it out, and I was just like, no, I can't. <laughs> also hard is how do you keep it fresh when it's something that people are like so not just familiar with but attached to there's like a pre-existing expectation of like what that content is going to be and you have to kind of like pander to that fan base because if you lose that fan base like that's it you know the care the character's dead basically people don't want ron burgundy to change because 
idea of Ron Burgundy that's like held sacred by a lot of people. And if there's like an evolution or if there's a change in that, people are going to be like turned off by it. Yep. Um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's kind of one of those weird things with like getting old in. Yeah, quick pause. All right. And going going into my last topic I have for you before we break down like my last little question for you in the show. Um, Joe Rogan's leaving L.A. That was like the big news. A lot of other celebrities are leaving L.A. You think that you think that's just because everything's shut down now? But you think they're still going to leave even though everything's opening up now, like the studios and all that? Or you think you're still going to see this mass wave of celebrities make their way out east towards like texas or i think that i know a lot of comedians are um, definitely getting tired of not being able to perform in la um like i think that's part of it and then i think also you gotta remember rogan just signed an enormous like nine-figure deal with spotify right and texas has no income tax I think that's pretty appealing to him. And it's, you know, property's a lot cheaper over there. He's not going to be paying as much rent for his studio as he would be over here. He can get, you know, a studio twice the size over there for ha- for, for the same price. Like, L.A. is an expensive city. And um, I think that for him, part of it, you know, being the libertarian that he is, part of it's about just, like, personal freedom. Like, he's been sick of the COVID regulations. Joey Diaz is going back to New Jersey. He's another guy who's leaving L.A. I'm curious to see. I think it's too early to tell. I think that there is definitely a couple guys that are starting to matriculate out. I think if this, I think if LA doesn't improve in the next couple months, you're going to start seeing more of a mass exodus with like the celebrities. But for now, like most of them are in their bubble, man. They're in the hidden hills, like gated off community, doing what they've been doing for however long. Like that's how they live their lives. They're already kind of quarantined off from the rest of the world. Um, so. It'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, I definitely think Rogan's gonna stay in Texas. I don't see him coming back to Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see it happening either. Um, it was just it was just weird that he moved out to Texas. Now that you brought up like there's no income tax and all that, I know that the reason why he bailed from YouTube to go to Spotify for the most part was because YouTube and their algorithm was like censoring most of his guests that he had on. Like some of the episodes you can, it takes a while to dig and find just to find like that guest that you're looking for because they're controversial and Spotify, Spotify is just like, we'll give you a hundred million dollars. We don't even give it, give a shit who you have on what you say, go ahead, go nuts, make us money. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I think also, you know, I think, um, YouTube, it, they take a pretty decent portion of the ad revenue that you generate. Like he was bringing in millions and millions and millions of viewers. And I think he saw an opportunity to get a much larger cut of what he was owed from Spotify than he, he would have through YouTube. I think there's still, um, is Spotify going to put the videos up? Yep. I, Spot- I, Spotify is making a video platform. platform. So what I think it is, is they're going to have the exclusive like rights to it initially. And then I think he's still going to keep a YouTube channel. He's going to post it on YouTube afterward, but it'll be, it'll be like after like a, a, a limited period of time where it's exclusive to Spotify only. I think, I think he's only posting the clips, like the little like 15, 20 minute snippets of like the main parts of the discussion. I think that's all that he's putting on YouTube. It won't be the whole episodes. No, you're probably right. Um, the other thing too, it's like, you know, it, it, the platform is kind of like you look at YouTube's, um, way of handling things. It's like, uh, it's like network television, right? It's about the amount of ad revenue that you bring in. So a TV show on NBC, like how, if it gets renewed or not is dependent on how many people are watching at that point in time during the night. And then from there, how many, how many cords is Honda selling from that demographic based on the commercial that those people are watching in act breaks. Whereas like Spotify, again, like it's a, it's a subscription based thing. So whether people listen to Joe Rogan or not, if they're subscribed to Spotify, they're still paying their like, you know, five to 10 bucks a month. Um, like Spotify is making that money one way or another, regardless of whether people listen to Rogan or not. And people are going to sign up for Spotify and subscribe to it just for Rogan 
and then be able to like also get the benefits of like whatever other podcasts and music that you know is, is available on that platform so it's it's less of a financial risk for them to be able to promote rogan than it would be for youtube because youtube is so heavily dependent on like advertisers and sponsors right all right well let's let's wrap it up i got one last little little snippet for you to do um you you always <clears throat> you're my movie guy when back back before covid uh david would always write like these huge like essays on facebook breaking down different types of movies what's good about it what's not good about it should you watch it should you not uh trusted him more than you know rotten tomatoes on for the most part and he hasn't been wrong yet and he hasn't steered me wrong what movies that are coming out or projects that you know are going to come out if you have that inside knowledge what are you looking forward to just give me like three or three or five movies that you're looking forward to and why All right. um, <clears throat> obviously Tenet because anything christopher nolan related i just i got it i love i actually love robert pattinson we were talking about this a little bit but like robert pattinson post twilight has had one of the most interesting careers out of anybody i've seen he's worked with like really acclaimed directors on like weird indie projects for the last like eight years he's like deliberately tried to leave the spotlight and he's now finally coming back to these like big blockbuster movies but he's working with like really good directors in that area um so i'm really looking forward to that also that movie is done like entirely with like practical effects pretty much there's like less there's less CGI in that movie than most comedies. Really? Really? There's like literally time going backwards in it. Like, I, I don't know how that he did that. So like big event filmmaking like that to me is really exciting. Um, Bond, No Time to Die. I think that's coming out in November. Really, really stoked about that. Um, Harry Fukunaga, who directed that, is a really good director. This is his first like massive project like this, but he comes from like a really grounded character-based um background and i think that's really going to benefit him and then what else is even coming out dude i'm like lost track honestly here I'll, I'll give you one that came out that um that i want people to watch because obviously chadwick boseman just passed away and uh he did a movie called the five bloods that was I, I was literally gonna ask you about the this after your little snippet because i've been wanting to check it out so go ahead go for it Likely. That movie is about a group of uh, soldiers in, in the Vietnam War, all of whom are black. Um, their leader gets uh, killed at the beginning of the movie, um, and they have like a giant thing of gold that they find that they hide. During the destruction of their leader getting killed, it destroys like all the like landmarks that they use as like references um, to like locate the gold. Um, and like, you know, like 50 years later, it's about them going back to Vietnam and trying to recover the gold and also recover the remains of their leader and, and, uh, and, and give him like a proper, uh, like funeral and burial. And it's one of Chadwick Boseman's last roles. He, he's unbelievable in it. It's a really difficult watch at some points. It's definitely like pretty violent at certain areas and it's definitely like, it's not afraid to like make a statement but it's it's one of it's one of his best performances and it's one of uh it's one of his like he's not in it for too long but he's really pivotal in it and um just a really really good way to to kind of tap into his smaller movies and uh check out something that might be a little more obscure so the five bloods spike lee go check that out r.i.p chadwick <laughs> yeah did that guy oh my god I, once I, that caught me by surprise the I mean, when at, we're baseball guys, so we saw the promotion for uh, Jackie Robinson Day. I think it was last year where the video came out, and he looked like skeleton. I was like, oh, he's probably just preparing for another role, just like all the other posts that you see. Like, oh, I had no idea. I thought I legitimately thought I remembered myself saying to my mom on the TV, I was like, he's he's just preparing for another role. I mean, he looks like shit, but he's probably just gonna play like some skinny dude that. No one knew, like no one at Marvel knew, nobody that he worked with knew, none of his friends knew, his closest family members knew, and that was it. And like, 
What I love about that is like the guy was just like, look, I don't want people feeling bad for me. I'm not going to feel bad for myself. You know, this guy had every reason to just like fall into cynicism, like cast off the world. And he chose to just like show up, not tell himself that he couldn't do anything, never put limitations on himself. And he literally was in like professional athlete level shape for four Marvel movies. And then he played like he's played the guy played Floyd Little, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall. And um, <clears throat> like, I, like this guy was not playing superheroes he was just he was an actual superhero like no, a yeah. out of that type of shape while battling stage four cancer like that is miraculous it's one of the most inspiring things i've ever heard like i was obviously gutted when i heard that news but i was just like wow like this guy showed up and lived life and like i'm gonna take that with me for the rest of my life and take that mindset yeah exactly man i i Perfect way to end an episode. I mean, paying paying respects to an actor who would probably be probably go down as a legend. I mean, like you said, he he's played so many iconic roles. I mean, in the short film career that he that he had. Yeah. Um. So we'll just go ahead and end it here. I mean, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast. Love having you on. Awesome talking with you. Buddy. Looking looking forward to having you back on sometime in the future. Um, you get to meet my co-host next time. A little more normal, and I can give you guys some more updates on uh, <laughs> that's man. It was, you know, I just got back from one today. I was doing a music video today, and it was just just great to be on there. I mean, but like even that set, we had like a six person group. Like it was really. really fun. We got through it. <laughs> well, hey man, I'm glad I'm glad that you came on today. Glad that you got to open some eyes about how how the industry works and all that uh, i'm your host nico my joined by my uh special guest dave this is outfield talk have a good night